So if you would like to turn in your Bibles, please, to Joshua 24. Joshua 24. And I will be reading from the New Living Translation this morning. So Joshua 24, and I will be commencing at verse 1. It says, Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt. And afterwards I brought you out as a free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. And when your ancestors cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them, and you took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you, but I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you, and so I rescued you from Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them. And I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land you had not worked on, and I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, sorry, your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we travelled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God, we will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions, 
As a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, this stone has heard everything the Lord said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Then Joshua sent all the people away to their own homelands. Okay, so this morning, my title is You Choose. You Choose. Now, my inspiration at first for this title, although I wouldn't have ran with it if the Lord hadn't confirmed it, but it was actually when I was putting this preach in the diary. So when Stevie sent out the dates and I took this one, I put it in the diary, and it's the same day that we as a family are going to see You Choose at Howden Park, straight from church today. So I say that as well to say, please forgive me if I rush away at the end, but this is one of these rare occasions where we've got plans. But for those that don't know, You Choose is a best-selling kids' book that is one of my son's favourites at the moment. Okay, and it's basically a book full of cartoon pictures, and the story changes every time you read it because you choose what you want to do. So what you want to eat, what bed you want to sleep in, what house you want to live in, that's what you choose is. And I say, this afternoon, we're going to find out what it looks like on stage as an interactive experience. But there we go. So you choose by, and I'm going to give credit for the podcast as well, is by Nick Sherratt and Pippa Goddard, or Goodard, um, just to keep on top of the copyright here as we mention books. So you choose. So I thought, you choose. Now there's a cracking title for a sermon. Right, I thought, what can I talk on there? And of course, instantly, this passage popped into my head as well. In Joshua 24, and in particular, starting at verse 14, and then it goes on to, you know, the bit that says, choose you this day whom you will serve. So this is what's sort of been mulling over in my head, choose you this day, and should I speak on that? And as I was praying, the Lord kept bringing me back to this passage, so I'm thinking, right, we're going with this. However, the Lord kept directing me more. I am going to touch on the choose you this day, but he kept pointing me back to this first bit in verse 14, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. So I've been praying all weakness, going, oh Lord, I do not want to preach on fear of the Lord. Oh, I do not want to preach, oh man, you know, that sort of, I have not been to Bible college, please do not ask me to speak on fear of the Lord. And he says, yes, you will speak on fear of the Lord. So that's just a little bit of intro to say that I'm going to come to that bit in a moment, though, and I'm going to tackle the easier bit first, which is the choose you this day part, whom you will serve. So in this passage, Joshua is making a challenge to people who have known the Lord and not just known him, but have seen him doing great miracles. That's why you have so many verses that I read there for context before you even get to verse 14, where Joshua is saying, remember what God has done. Look how he has delivered you time and time and time again. He has never abandoned you every time God has come through. However, despite all of that, he's talking to a people that still continue to turn their backs on God and serve the gods of the lands where they find themselves. So the ultimatum comes through Joshua, not from Joshua, but through Joshua, from God that says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And as I say, whilst the Lord might be telling me to maybe spend more time this morning looking at fear of the Lord, I see he did not want me to skip this verse And I really believe that the Lord is calling us this morning as well to rededicate ourselves to that call. Choose you this day 
whom you will serve, to commit wholeheartedly, because that's what Joshua's saying here. It's not a half-hearted sit on the fence, get scales in your bum call. It's a choose you this day, God, or another way, but you can't go half and half. A wholehearted commitment to decide if your life is better off with God or without him. So it's not a call then, and it's not a call this morning for those that have yet to hear the gospel. It's a call to those that have heard and seen what the Lord can do and to rededicate their lives. And again, I stress that because if you've not made a decision to follow Christ in this place this morning, then absolutely we would love to introduce you to Jesus and the amazing power he has to transform your life. But this actual call this morning and when it was in Joshua was for those that already know but are wavering. And he says, are you prepared to commit wholeheartedly, choose you this day, whom you will serve? It's a call to commit in the face of opposition and in the face of fear. It's a call to commit in the face of lifestyles that the world offers that give instant gratification. Choose you this day whom you will serve. What camp are you in? And I think this is a very pertinent challenge for us today in this country. And I'm not just talking about the UK, but in Scotland. In particular in Scotland, even more than the UK at the minute, with what's been passed by our government. Instant gratification, lifestyles that do not please the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Because the way the Lord asks us to live is not popular choice today. Our beliefs are not popular today. But the Lord still says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And it's for your house and your family. Because Joshua says, as for me and my house. It's not just as for me. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'm going to be honest this morning, that's the bit I struggle with at present. I find it easier to commit for myself than I do for my family. And I say that because of the fear I have of what the world we're bringing our kids up in. But I shouldn't have that fear because of the Lord's and the Lord's protecting them. But that's the bit I struggle with. I'm going to be honest for a moment. And anyone else that's a parent or even grandparent in here will understand where I'm coming from there. So I find myself frequently having to choose. And again, that's why I say you choose it's not a feeling. You don't wait till you feel like it with these things. You have to make the choice, even when you don't feel like it, to say, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, and I don't know how many ladies were here for the flourish night where Keva spoke, because you're not going to like me singling her out now, but it's just because you've caught my eye. You know, and what a fantastic night that was when Keva spoke and really shared with her, her heart. And you know, Kevin, the thing that has stuck with me ever since is inspirational was when you said, I never fear for my kids. When they leave the house, the Lord is with them. His protection is over them. And I remember that still. And that's what scripture says as well. But it says to hear you say that as well. And the faith that you have that the Lord protects your kids was inspirational that night. So thank you. So the choice, the first choice we have to make this morning is you choose God the way the truth and the life, or another way. You choose. 
then we get to the tricky bit. Backing, going back a little to verse 14, where it says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. You know, I've, I've not, I don't remember the last time, maybe if at all, I heard a message on fear of the Lord. I probably have in my lifetime, but I couldn't actually remember the last time. It's not something we talk about a lot. It doesn't sit really today, does it, with our nice, cozy, you know, friend, what a friend we have in Jesus sort of image. And I'm not knocking that him in any way, by the way, but I'm saying we have, you know, this sort of cozy relationship that we sort of have in our heads with God. So we don't talk about fear of the Lord, but the Bible mentions it many, many times. And I started thinking about this as I was reading this book here, Building Church by Stephen Matthew. So we've been going through Pray and Build by Stephen Matthew as a church. And this is the full book that we are reading as a senior leadership team at the moment. So this is his full book. And right at the start, in chapter 3, he details 14 things, 14 features of a healthy church. And number 11, which smacked me right between the eyes when I read it, was the fear of the Lord was present. So this is him talking about the Acts church. Everyone was filled with awe, it says in Acts 2.43. No one else dared join them. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed. And Stephen Matthew says, when Christians truly understand the nature of God, they can only bow in humble adoration. He defies description by mere words like awesome, magnificent, and omnipotent. Nothing can describe the felt presence of God. In his holiness, he resists all that oppose him. In his love and mercy, he embraces all that call in his name. He is truly wonderful beyond description. The first Christians knew this, but the death of Ananias and Sapphira seriously sharpened their awareness of it. And that's in Acts 5. It inspired fear but of the right kind, a reverential respect of God's holiness and right ways. Proverbs 16 and 6 says that through the fear of the Lord, a man avoids evil. And here is salutary, can't even say that word, evidence. The same God who heals, restores, and intervenes through miracles, signs, and wonders is to be feared. When we get this balance right, we have a healthy church. All thriving churches have a healthy fear of the Lord, permeating all that they do. And, you know, it was the day I read that, that I remember saying to the Lord, fear of the Lord, I wonder how you teach that in church. Never say that to God, because he just says, I want you to talk about it, okay? So I was like, oh. So fear of the Lord. As I say, I'm not a theologian. I've not been to Bible college. So I'm going to give you my take on fear of the Lord, which I hope is actually not my take, but the Lord's, because I've spent a week praying about this. And I'm still praying, Lord, fill my mouth, please, as I speak. But as I say, fear of the Lord is mentioned many times in Scripture. And I'm just wanting to call up three um, verses out of the many where it mentions this. So Proverbs 9 and 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Then Proverbs 10 27. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. And in Psalm 19 and 9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. 
So as I mentioned before, this is not something that we talk about a lot. It's very hard for us to understand. And the reason it doesn't sit well with us is because it seems to be contrary to a loving God and a heavenly father, which he is. I'm not saying he's not. So how do we have this fear of the Lord, but also we have a loving heavenly father, a God who himself is love, the word tells us. But this is something, as we read in the Stephen Matthew excerpt there, that we need to embrace if we are to truly know him and to worship him in spirit and in truth for who he is. So part of fear of the Lord is reverence, and it is only a part. It cannot just be reverence, or it would say reverence of the Lord, but it's one part of it. And I've used this example before when I led worship a long time ago, which some may remember. But who remembers the royal wedding of William and Catherine? Okay, I'm not even sure what year that was. I meant to look it up, but it was the 29th of April. I remember that. Okay, because we had family birthdays that day. So I remember 29th of April, but I'm not sure the year. But the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, their wedding. And I was watching the wedding, and it was after the ceremony had passed, and they were leaving the church. And they stopped in front of the Queen. And Catherine curtsied and William bowed to the Queen. And as I say, some of you have heard me say this before. But I remember thinking as I was watching this, there's William, someone who calls the Queen Granny, or whatever title he uses, but it's affectionate, behind closed doors. But he still bows before her because she's also Queen. We are privileged to call God our Heavenly Father affectionately call him father but he's still king of kings and lord of lords and he can be both that to me is one example of reverence William and Catherine were given reverence to the queen in her position but he still has a grandmother grandson relationship with her when we look at God that's maybe a simplistic example but it goes even further with God than the example of the queen. Because he's not just a king. He is king of kings. He is creator of the universe, giver of life. And he has the power to give and to take life away. That is why we should fear the Lord. The thematic study Bible describes reverence as the proper sense of awe, respect and wonder that is inspire, inspired and demanded by an encounter with, meditation upon, the character and activity of the living God. I love that description. It's not only inspired, it's demanded by an encounter with and meditation upon the character of the living God. So let's look for a moment at more about who God is. And I want to start with some of the titles of God. And I am saying some, so please don't pick me up if I've missed any. But these are just some. So some of the titles given in Scripture is Almighty, the Ancient of Days, God Most High, the Living God, the Lord, Abba Father, the Holy One of Israel, and the Eternal God. And sorry, I'm smiling because my spell checker has made Abba, Father, Abba, like the group on my sheet. 
He's not Abba. He's much higher than Abba. Okay, Abba Father. Thanks, I've got it right up there. So reverence and indeed fear is demanded because of who he is. He's almighty, the ancient of days, God most high, the living God, the Lord, Abba Father, and the Holy One of Israel. And I say to name but a few. There are other titles in Scripture. So in that sense, why would we not fear him? Who are we in position to the Lord our God? But it goes beyond just reverence. It's fear that drives us to follow his laws and to seek him rather than run away because we dare not turn our backs on the Lord Almighty. If we did, the consequences of our decisions would lead us away from God and separation from God is never a good thing. Hence the reason that verse earlier says it shortens life. That's what it means, it shortens life. You turn your back on God and do not follow his laws or fear him then you are basically separating yourself from God. But it is not mere terror. It doesn't mean we're terrified of God, frightened of him, because it also includes trust. And how can we trust him? Well, look at what he's done already. I thought I'd put another slide back to our verse here. So verse 16 in our passage before where he says, you know, look what God has done. In fact, I might have to bring it back up for my own benefit, if I can read it in that distance. Read it here. So we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. That's how you can trust the Lord. You look back at everything he's done in your life. What's he done already? You think about all the things God has done for you, and you realize you can trust him. So you have to understand God in his entirety to understand why the fear of the Lord is not contrary to a loving Heavenly Father. As our scripture verse said earlier, the fear of the Lord is pure. It's not about a God who punishes us for our wrongdoings, although he's entitled and able to do that. But it's about a God who is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, and keeps his promises. A.W. Tozer, in the knowledge of the Holy pulls out 18 characteristics of God in the Bible. And I want to look at these now so we can understand God in his entirety. Wisdom. Infinitude, which means God knows no boundaries. He's without measure. Sovereignty. It makes him absolutely free to do what he knows best. God is in control of everything. Holiness. It sets God apart from all created beings. His majesty, his perfect moral purity. Trinity, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Get my teeth in for this one. Omniscience. God possesses perfect knowledge. Faithfulness. He keeps his promises. Love. God is love. Scripture tells us. Omnipotence, he's all-powerful. Self-existence, God has no beginning or end, he just exists. Self-sufficiency, he does not need our help with anything. 
but because of his grace and love, he allows us to be part of his advancing plan on earth and a blessing to others. Justice. Not justice like we see in our courts, which can be flawed at times because we're human, but perfect justice. Immutability. He never changes. Mercy. He's actively compassionate. Eternal. Forever and ever and ever. Goodness, perfect goodness. Gracious, he enjoys giving good gifts to those who love him, even when we don't deserve it. Omnipresence, he's always present. This is our God. Perfect in love, perfect in purity, perfectly just, the very definition of love, mercy and grace. He has the power to judge. He is holy and we should bow before him. Or like in the Old Testament, they would just get flat before him. Who are we? God. Reverently, we should fear him. But we should not be frightened of him. Because he is our heavenly father, our provider, our saviour. He is love. He is faithful. So fear of the Lord, as Stephen Matthew said as well, is about balance. It's about knowing at all times our position in relation to God. You know, who are we in relation to you, God, that you would even look on us with love and fall in before him when we need to fall before him and say, who am I? But it's about balance because we don't live in that place where we say, oh, who am I? I am nothing because of who God is in his entirety. And through Jesus, we can rise up from our knees and say, we're the child of a king. Fear of the Lord is falling to our knees and saying, worthy, worthy, worthy are you, Lord, to be praised and adored. But full knowledge of the Lord and his word means that we can also get up and live in the love, grace, and mercy he bestows upon us that allows us to live life to the fullest. Fear of the Lord is falling to our knees and admitting our sin and failure to him, knowing that nothing is hidden from him and that all our actions have consequences. But full knowledge of the Lord and his word means we can also get up knowing that God is faithful and true to forgive our unrighteousness when we ask him to. Fear of the Lord is falling to our knees crying, Who am I, Lord, that you would look on me with love? And full knowledge of the Lord and his word means we can also rise up and say, I am her royal highness, Dion, the child of a king. In balance. Remember who we are in our position to him, but we don't just stay there all the time and say, woe is me. I am a sinner undone, but we get up and we say, through Christ and what he's done and knowing God and his fullness, we are the child of a king. In the same book, Tozer says, man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. Worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains higher low thoughts of God. And it's that bit I want to look at next. Worship is pure 
or base as the worshipper entertains high or low thoughts of God. So the levels we reach in worship depend on our perception of God and how big our God is and whether we recognise, as we've just had that big list, who he is. And I want to focus on this bit as the last part this morning because, you know, worship is key for us. And I say that because there has been a theme coming through in words over recent years, including last week, that worship is key for this church going forward. And what we mean by worship is not just music as well, because that's a topic for a whole other day as to what worship actually is. But worship is praise, adoration, what we say in prayer, how we live our entire lives as an act of worship. So it's not just music. But Ron last week, and I've tried to get the exact wording, but couldn't do it in time for the sermon, and I was in creche, so Ron and everyone else, please forgive me if my paraphrasing takes us slightly out of context. But I believe towards the end of his preach, Ron said something like, as the church elevates our worship, things will happen or will reach new heights. Or I don't, say, I don't know his exact wording, and Stevie didn't have it either this week, but we will get it. But I say, I don't know, for those that were here last week, if you remember the wording, but it was about, you know, as we start to really worship the Lord, then, you know, we're really going to take this church forward. And then Ray Stokes, and again, I'm not quite sure the date of this, but it was a few years back in an extended leadership team meeting on a Sunday night. I remember Ray said, prayer and praise is key. And together that was, not separate. Prayer and praise, prayer and praise. That's what you need and you see the breakthrough. Prayer and praise. And I was thinking about these two words and that quote there, worship is pure or base as the worshipper entertains higher low thoughts of God. So let us remember who God is and that he deserves worship and adoration and why we worship him. It's not just music, as I've said, it's our adoration full stop, including how we live our lives as an act of worship to a God who deserves everything absolutely everything you know I get mad sometimes when I listen to the radio, Christian radio in the car um, because occasionally and thankfully it is only occasionally but you do get these songs, worship songs come on and the lyrics are all about God you make me feel great, God you make me feel awesome and I get mad because worship is God you are great God you are awesome God, you are good all the time. Worship is not about how we feel. Worship is a choice before it's a feeling. You choose to worship God in all circumstances because of who he is, whether you feel like it or not. The good news is, though, you do feel better as you do it because the closer you get to God, the closer you are to his light and away from the darkness. So the feelings do come, but you choose to worship God whether you feel like it or not, first and foremost. Because if you look at what God's done in your life, he deserves it. And even if you can't think of those examples, he still deserves it because he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords, creator of the universe, and he's the one that gave us life. So worship is, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Oh, there are no words adequate, God. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Worship is, I stand, I stand in awe of you. I stand, 
I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. Worship is all within me cries out in praise your majesty i can but bow i lay my all before you now in royal robes i don't deserve i live to serve your majesty. I can't stop now, I've started. Yeah. Can't stop praising his name. I just can't stop. Anyone remember that one? Praising his name. I think it's Ron Canoli. Just can't stop praising his name. Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> God, you are great. You are awesome. You're good all the time. You choose to worship God in all circumstances because he is worthy. So you choose this morning. And in fact, every day, God gives you the choice, the free will. You choose who you will serve. You choose to acknowledge who God is and fear him. And you choose to worship him in all circumstances because he is worthy. And on that note, I'm going to ask the band back up as I pray, and we are going to do just that. I see worship is more than singing, but it's a great way to corporately worship the Lord through music. And we're going to praise him because he deserves mm. the praise this morning. Father God, we thank you this morning that through Jesus you allow us to boldly approach your throne this morning. And even though we give you your proper place this morning, Father God, and we say you are holy, you are King of kings and Lord of lords, and we say, who am I that you would look on me with love this morning? And we do acknowledge that with fear and with trembling in that sense. But Father God, we thank you that through Jesus we can boldly come before you as well and say we're the child of a king and that we can rise up and worship you and give you all the glory and the praise and the honor that is due your name this morning. We do come before you on our knees, recognizing our position to you, but we also rise up from our knees and we say, we stand in awe of you this morning, Father God. In awe of you, the one to whom all praise is due. Holy, 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 worthy are you, Lord. Worthy to be praised and adored. Father God, we ask that you accept our offering of worship this morning as we give it to you. And we ask that you accept our monetary offerings as well as we do that too. Amen.